say. What is it that made the Garden of Eden paradise? Why was Eden paradise? When the animals, the nice trees, good fruit to eat, they had great fruit in the garden. The thing that made it paradise is the presence of the Lord. It was the ability to walk and talk and interact with God to be together with Him. So if the presence of the Lord is paradise and the Holy Spirit is God, then the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives, in essence, is also a beginning step of our return into paradise. Because everywhere that the Holy Spirit goes, the perfection of God goes. And so I, I call the coming of the Spirit as heaven's invasion of earth, because everywhere that the perfection of heaven goes, everywhere that the kingdom of God goes, it fixes and undoes what has been broken on this earth. Broken human nature is being restored in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as, as I kind of expound on this, you may not fully agree with my exegetical methods and the conclusions I'm arriving at, but I'm doing my best to help us frame this in slightly new ways, to invite us to look again at the implications of the Pentecost outpouring, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, because it changes everything. We are gathered here this Sunday morning as a small community of faithful believers because of the hope that we have that was manifest in this event, the day of Pentecost. You know, I, I kind of am trying to present this in a way that we can hear it new. I'm not the best at it necessarily. I don't claim to be. But the problem is a lot of times we get so familiar with these stories we let the extraordinary become commonplace. And this happens because we disconnect these stories from our real lives. You can be, you know, as I'm preaching and talking about Acts chapter 2, you could be thinking, yeah, yeah, Acts 2, it's good stuff. I'm all for it, Calvin, thumbs up. Holy Spirit comes, the church grows. I got it, I've heard it a hundred times. That's good sermon, Calvin. You're helping me in whole new ways. My sleep has not been great. You're helping a lot there. And you yawn because you can't see that this story is for you. You yawn because you can't see that this story changes everything for you. And as we read in these texts and as we read in these stories, it doesn't just change everything for you personally. But when the Holy Spirit comes in power, He creates new possibilities for what we can be in relationships with each other, for what we can be as the Lord's church. So we're going to get into this a little bit in uh, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, or the prayers. So what Luke is doing here is he is laying down what have been called the four marks of a church, 
And those four marks are teaching, the common life with other believers, the breaking of bread, which is inclusive of what we just shared together in communion, and prayers. And I think that when churches leave out one or more of these pillars, that church, to the extent that they leave some of these things out, is going to be dysfunctional and unhealthy. And to the extent that they embrace all four of these things, they're going to thrive and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, in our brotherhood, this is just my opinion, we've not thrived as much as we as much as the Lord desires because we've not always made prayer a priority. I'm not trying to judge anyone. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, this is my observation and this is just my opinion. I feel like in some ways when it, when it comes to prayer, we have taken a pillar of the church and relegated it to just personal devotions. Or our prayers are so ritualized in the way that we say them and what we express here in this common fellowship, that a lot of us, when the prayers happen, we're just checking out. It's commonplace. We expect these certain things. They're not, they're not connected. And because we've not discipled each other in a life of common prayer together, the prayers a lot of times that we are, assume are happening in personal devotions, in personal quiet time, we stop showing up, they start drying up, it stops taking place, we stop investing in prayer. When that happens, things get off balance. Think about this word too, devoted. They devoted themselves. Devoted. What is devotion? What does it mean for you to be devoted to something? So we had a unique opportunity last night. We attended the Ducks football game. I saw devotion there in a way that is idolatrous, but it was devotion. What does it mean to be devoted to something? Well, these four things were the priority of these people's lives, these early believers. All four of these things, think about what they do. The Apostles' teaching, which is orthodox instruction, teaching you how to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Fellowship together, being in community together, breaking in bread, sharing the Lord's Supper, sharing fellowship, and prayer. What do all of these things do? Are they not all about building relationship? They are all about building a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. That's why they were a priority. That's why they devoted themselves to these things. Everyone was filled with awe 
and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to one another as he had need. So these miracles, they continue. First begun with Jesus Christ, and then they continue with the apostles. And the apostles do miracles the same way that Jesus did miracles through the power of God. And then the other miracle of this verse is the generosity of these early disciples to share all of the possessions that they held for the good of the body. They held it all in common. Now, I don't think for us that that is a command that we as a church try to enforce. We've got a common purse. We've got this. We, you know, we do this in our own way and in different ways. What I think rather that I want you to take out of this is that kind of generosity of caring for each other's needs at that level, that is a natural expression of the types of things that fellowships of Christians do when they are filled with the Holy Spirit. When I'm filled with the Spirit of God, there are new possibilities of generosity that just flow out of me. So every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I see, as I read through these early chapters of Acts, I see a progression of the Spirit's movement. And again, this is just me trying to put words to a movement that I'm seeing. We have this amazing outpouring, the day of Pentecost, where heaven invades and begins undoing those things that have gone wrong with creation. We see this by the languages that are spoken that people hear. We see this by who the Spirit falls upon. It's falling on the rich and the poor. It's falling on men and women. The Holy Spirit is showing new possibilities. And in response to what the Holy Spirit is doing, these disciples, they devoted themselves to four things. And these four things continue to build relationships. It's like the Holy Spirit wakes them up to possibilities. They do these things because they want more of it. And the Lord adds to it. So the Spirit uses the apostles then to perform wonders and miraculous signs. And then it says, when the community sees this, they are in awe. They are in awe. These Christians who are devoted and in awe, they naturally express themselves in ways that take care of everyone else. I can't help but be generous 
to take care of the needs of my brothers and sisters when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone, they have a home to meet in. Everyone has bread to break. Everyone has a glad and sincere heart. Everyone, everyone is praising God for what's taking place. And then finally, when those who are outside of the fellowship see these kinds of relationships of love and devotion, you can't help but look on a group like this favorably. It says they had the favor of all the people at this point. Now, the favor will come and go, but at this point, people are noticing that kind of love in this kind of fellowship. It leaves a mark. It makes an impression. And when outsiders are confronted with a community of faith like this, outsiders, they long to become insiders. That's just what has to happen. I, I need to be a part of something like that. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. To the extent, brothers and sisters, that we become a fellowship like that, devoting ourselves to the things that they devoted themselves to, who are filled with awe, who overflow in generosity and love for one another to the extent that we can become a fellowship like that, we're not going to have a problem with people wanting to be a part of the Eugene Church of Christ. We, you could say we don't have the most exciting worship experience. You could say we, you can point out flaws and little things that we don't do right. Our facilities aren't as cool as some. Our preacher's not as cool as some. His hair's all wrong. He's a little chubbier than the ideal. He doesn't wear skinny jeans. (laughs) If the Holy Spirit is living in us and working through us, all of those peripheral little things that we try to do, and we'll try to do those and get better at, that doesn't matter when I see a fellowship of people who lay it on the line because they love me. And they invite me into that kind of love for other people. And I realize it's the Lord using all of us. When I find a fellowship like that, all the rest of it's just playing games. It's just playing games because I found something real and it's changing my life and I've been hungry for it my entire life. This is the thing that I've been looking for. When you know the Holy Spirit and power like that, what happens here stops becoming a game and it gets very real. And it'll be your priority. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, it'll change everything about your life. And the truth is, God wants to build us into that kind of church more than we desire it ourselves. But we have a role to play 
that God does not coerce or force us to. We have a role to play. We have things to devote ourselves to. We have repentance that needs to take place. So my premise is for this sermon this morning is that if you want Acts 2 kinds of results, if you want to be an Acts 2 kind of fellowship, then you're going to need Acts 2 kinds of devotion. And I think looking at these early chapters in Acts, it's pretty clear, among other things, that the appropriate human response to the Spirit's movement, when the Holy Spirit moves, the only things that we should be doing in response are the things that it talks about are the devotion and repentance. So now we move on to chapter 3. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So in Judaism, uh, as well as in the early church, we know that they had set prayer times that they, the people committed to and attended. So the third hour or the sixth hour or the ninth hour, a lot of times these you read phrases like that as describing a, a time of set prayer that they would go and participate in. So Peter and John are heading to the temple to participate in these fixed hour prayers. And this, was, this particular time was the afternoon prayer time. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So a couple Old Testament passages, just so you're aware. Uh, this kind of alms begging that happened, it's, it's kind of normal. It would be something expected of a person who is crippled. Uh, it was alms giving to the poor. It was something commanded to the Jewish people as a means of showing compassion. Uh, Proverbs 21, 13, and 28, 27 talk about this, how we are to take care of people who are hurting and poor. But the second thing also is this poor beggar had never been inside the temple. He's there in proximity. But there's this law from Leviticus 21 that says that cripples are not allowed to enter into the temple proper. So Peter looks straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly, instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. See, when, when Peter and John see this man they recognized that silver and gold were not this man's biggest problems. 
Silver and gold were not this man's greatest needs. His biggest problem was his own brokenness and his exclusion from the people of God. And this healing that takes place, it's not gradual, it's not partial, it's not slowly over time through natural processes of regeneration. This healing is instantaneous and it's total. Muscles that this man has never used his entire life suddenly are strong enough to allow him to be leaping around. And the jumping that he does with his newly strengthened body It's a reflection of the leaping that is taking place in his heart. And notice the first thing that he does when he can walk again is he follows Peter and John into the temple courts. He'd been on the outside his entire life. What Jesus does for this man allows him to go in He's not on the outside as a spectator anymore. Because the thing that had separated him from full participation his entire life, suddenly that's removed in an instant. He gets to go places he was never allowed to go. He gets to participate in things that he was never allowed to participate in before. He's leaping and praising God because of the joy in his heart, a joy that Jesus Christ of Nazareth has given him. And don't miss the fact that Peter commands this healing in Jesus' name because there is power. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. There is power in the name of Jesus. But it's not power like a magic word or a secret word, or a secret ritual. The power is not in the words themselves. The power is in the relationship that they represent. Peter is giving credit where credit is due. He says this so that everyone knows that the power and the authority and the relationship is Jesus Christ. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while the beggar beggar held on to Peter and John, all of the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or or godliness we have made this man walk? So people, they recognize, they recognize this is the crippled beggar who sat out out at the gate all of these years begging. And they are amazed to find him walking about, 
And so this crowd starts to gather to make sense of what they, had, what they were seeing with their eyes. And we find Peter taking this opportunity once again to explain something amazing. And basically Peter says, you shouldn't be surprised that the miracles that Jesus began are continuing in his disciples. This should not surprise you. And it's not by our goodness, it's not by our holiness or our ability It's not by my good looks or my persuasive words. Two things I want to point out about the miracles before we move on from them. First is the the boldness of Peter and John. They stare directly at the man. They speak out loud so that they are witnesses and there can be no doubt of their intent. And then they pull the guy up. Their confidence that the Lord is going to show up in power is unwavering. Oftentimes when I come to situations like that, I I don't know how to be bold like that. I have faith. I, I keep thinking, if if I say those words, how timid they would come out. If I, because there's a problem, because I've somehow made this about me. Second, notice how important it is for the disciples to give credit where credit is due. It's not our holiness, it's not our power, but it's through the name of Jesus. So Peter goes on with his preaching then. And he's helping them understand this amazing event. But look how bold and confrontational his message is to them. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let, them, let him go, you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. You handed, you disowned, you killed. Peter does not shrink back at all from placing blame on this gathering crowd. Because people come and they're like, I don't know about that. What's he talking about? I, I I wasn't the one who made the orders. I didn't make Pilate do. Yeah, I observed from afar, or perhaps there are people in that crowd that are just like, I wasn't even there that day. This isn't my problem. This is all of our problem. It's Calvin's problem today. It's your problem sitting in the the chairs there.
You need to own it as your problem. And get real about all the ways that you have denied the author of life. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see, as you can all see. Repent then and turn to God. so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing. So now this second sermon that we've read of Peter's is remarkably similar to the, to the first. The problem Peter identifies, it's very similar. It is the betrayal of Jesus Christ. By the way, don't think that that's not our problem. And not only is the diagnosed problem the same, the second sermon shows that the solution is the same too, namely repentance. Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized. This time it just says, repent so that times of refreshing may come. By the way, baptism is very refreshing. So the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So what do we know about the Sadducees? The priests and the Sadducees, basically if you want to remember something, they were the people in power. They were the ones in charge of, of, of the Jewish faith and religion, or so they thought. And what do we know that the Sadducees thought about resurrection? They did not believe in resurrection. They did not allow for that a possibility. So the, the Sadducees, the religious gatekeepers... They thought, their mistake was that they thought that they were the ones who get to determine who is in and who is out. Who gets to come be a part and who needs to be excluded. This is the group that killed Jesus out of jealousy because he was announcing that the kingdom of God is available to everybody. Doesn't mean everyone's going to choose it, but it's available to everyone. Everyone. So they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But, but, many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. See, they were doing everything they could still to squelch what was going on, but this wildfire of the Holy Spirit, they can't contain it. They can't contain this group of disciples of Jesus Christ. And once again, we find them growing by thousands. Growing by thousands. So I want to end this morning where we began. They devoted. 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And from chapter 3, verse 19, repent then and turn to God. Repent and return to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That is our role. That is our work. That's what we are called to do as disciples. We think of repentance as a, as a horrible and ugly thing that, yeah, maybe it's required of us and I have to come up front maybe or I don't know if I should or we make repentance into this, but really repentance is a gift. It's a gift to realign with the will and purposes of God. Repentance isn't a heavy burden for us. Repentance is sweet. And the tears of repentance are sweeter still. That kind of openness, that kind of void we leave by letting go of control, that's when the Holy Spirit comes in. He fills that. And he uses us. If you want Acts 2 kinds of results, then you're going to need Acts 2 kinds of devotion. I see a lot of churches that they strive to be a church of power, a church that everyone can see we are filled with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we oftentimes run right past the humility and the little normal things that the early Christians devoted themselves to. Little, little things that built relationships. And repentance, what if repentance wasn't the big bad boogeyman that we've made it to be? And repentance became something sweet and became something that was a part of our lives. I'm, I'm having to learn it as a parent, as a, as a spouse, as a minister for sure. I have to repent. And what if it becomes commonplace and something we don't just do once, but we begin to do this again and again and again? Because I want the Lord that much. I want to be in relationship with Him that much. I think as a community here, as the Eugene Church of Christ, to the extent that we can embrace repentance and devotion, I think that that's going to be a key to a time of refreshing for us. And I think growth isn't going to be our problem. I think the Lord will add to our number daily those who are being saved. Repentance and devotion. which lead to humility and love. 
So I don't know how these words strike you this morning or what you hear from them or how they're churning, but sit and chew on these things. Have I lived this kind of Acts 2 kind of devotion? Because a lot of us are, are disappointed with, you know, I really would like some Acts 2 kind of results. But have I lived as a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ at this level? Chew on that question. This is an important question. And we'll see what the, God, what the Lord does with, with all of these things. So if you have needs this morning to put on Christ in baptism, to enjoy that kind of refreshing, or uh, for the prayers of this church, whatever needs you might have, you can come forward and let me know about those as we stand and sing together.